0: So you got saved. Now, you know, I use those words sometimes like everybody in the room understands. Maybe everybody in the room doesn't understand. I, I remember one time I was in a meeting and, it, and I said, well, I talked about the lost and this person said, what do you mean by the lost? And I realized this person didn't know what lost was. And I realized that when they, they were they were somebody who did not know the Lord and they didn't understand that they were lost to God's purposes. They didn't understand that they were lost to God's path. They were lost in what they were doing and they didn't understand that. And I, and I realize that sometimes I use words and maybe not everybody in the room understands what those words are. And let me say this to you folks. I actually don't want everybody in this room to be saved at this moment. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? It's not that I don't want you to be saved. It's not that I don't want you to know Jesus. It doesn't mean that I don't want you to trust in him and follow him. Those are the things that we use in words that we mean that a person knows the Lord Jesus Christ and has an eternity uh, promised for him in heaven. I, I got that. But if we are always a bunch of people who are only inviting people who already know the Lord, we're really not doing a very good uh, job with the outreach that we're doing. We should be a people who are inviting people like Jesus invited people, those tax collectors and those prostitutes and those types of people that even religious people didn't want to be around. And we need to be inviting those people so that when we have the people in this room, I'd really like to be able to say, not everyone here is saved. Not because I don't want you saved. I do want you saved. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to have a, a purpose in your life. I want you to have an eternity with Jesus uh, Christ. I want you to have the joy that he brings. But the bottom line of it is, is that if that's what we have everybody in the room, then we haven't reached out to the people who really need to hear the gospel story. So that's the story I'm, I'm trying to say to you. So you have trusted in Jesus. And if you have trusted in Jesus and you have not changed, you're not any different than you were from the moment that you gave your life to Christ, that moment that you made that, that initial decision, then you, know, you go back and you say, my testimony is back when I was 12 or 13 or 16 or 18 or 22 or whatever that number is, and you say, I- I'm not any different from that, then there is something wrong that is there. A. A. Hodge says that any man who thinks he's a Christian and that he has accepted Christ for justification when he did not at the same time accept him for sanctification is deluded in that very experience. Sanctification is that process in which we become holy. We become holy. See, many people do not even hear of sanctification in the, in the church. But we see, we, don't, we rarely talk what comes next. We don't tell people what comes next. And so when we don't do that, there's so many people that truly are the believers, but they don't know the reason that they go to church. They don't know the reason that they're supposed to read their Bibles or pray or, or share Christ with anybody else or any of that sort of thing. And so they don't. And they don't because they don't know anything about sanctification. They don't realize that their soul is not whole it's not all together. They don't recognize that you know there is maybe a little thought of, by many Christians to expect holiness in their lives. In fact, I I looked it up. Sanctification is not even in the top 10 of the um, of sermons preached in the topics. It's not even in the top 10. Think about that. It's not even in top 10. And so Sanctification, when it, it is preached, it is often preached incorrectly. Even SermonSearch.com said, defined it as how we react to God's work in us is called sanctification. And I'll tell you something, sanctification is more than a reaction. It is a volitional decision to become holy. Realize what I'm saying to you, is that you must make the decision... Not that I'm going to be, you know, I'm just going to be saved and live like the world. But I'm going to be a different person that is going to have holiness in my life. See, sanctification has been presented, though, in the church often as impossible. And as impossible. See, and so people aren't expected to become holy. But that is exactly what the scriptures say that we're to become. We're to become holy. Now, it's very hard to do that which you don't think you can do. You hear what I'm saying to you? If you've been told you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, it is very hard for you to believe that you can do this. If you believe you can't do it, the likelihood is you can't do it. In the 40s and 50s, there was the thought that nobody could run a sub-four-minute mile. In fact, is, is that some physiologists or doctors, I don't know who it was, but they had determined that the human body could not stand a sub four-minute mile. If you, ran, if you ran under four minutes, they said your heart would explode. Now, think about that just for a moment. Let's say, for example, you are in college or high school or whatever it might be, and you're way out ahead of the rest of the crowd. You're running, and, you're, and the coach says, you're on your third lap, he says, you are so good, you're going to break the four-minute mile. And what do you think? My heart will explode. And so what happens to you? You slow down, don't you? You're going to win the race anyway. You slow down a little bit. And that existed till 1954 until Roger Bannister, who was a British medical student, didn't believe it. And he ran the first sub four minute mile. I looked that up This for this past year. As of April of last year, 1,663 athletes had run sub four minute miles. And that was something that was considered impossible less than 100 years ago. You realize that. It was considered impossible. So when I say to you about becoming holy, I'm going to tell you that it is possible. But Let me make sure that I am explaining to you what it really is. I'm not talking about you becoming perfect. I'm not talking about you having a sinless life. I'm talking about a characterization. I'm talking about sanctification as a pronouncement. It's much more than saying that a person, uh, that a person is, is perfect. You understand, David was considered what? A man after God's own heart. Did David do some things he shouldn't do? Absolutely, he did some things he shouldn't do. But how did they consider him? A man after God's own heart. Why is that? Because that is how he was characterized. So that sanctification is a characterization of the individual that compels him or her to continue to live a holy life. Now, some people will say, well, why would I want to do that? Well, see, many Christians, maybe even most Christians, live with broken souls. Let me explain to you what a broken soul is. See, they are trying to act like Christians, but it's not really in the inside. Do you hear what I'm saying? is not there on the inside and so what happens when the person tries to act like a christian can they act like a christian maybe for a day or two yes the answer is are they going to be really uh, are they going to blow it absolutely they're going to blow it because what are they doing they're acting like it it's something that has to come from the inside the evidence is they got a broken soul is because so many christians worry just like people who do not know jesus So many Christians are out there, they're just, I mean, if you say the word to them, you got cancer, they are just worried to death over it. Not that they shouldn't be concerned, I got concerned, right? But worried about that? No. They, so many Christians explode in anger, just like the people who do not know Christ. They're acting the same way. So many Christians have relationships just like those who do not know Christ. In fact, when surveys are taken, they find that people who call themselves believers are exactly just right neck and neck with the people who say they have no faith at all and the number of divorces they have. They're right in there with the same percentages, right at about 50%. Right in there at the same place. The fact is, if you're a Baptist, you're actually ahead of the curve. You're more of you doing that sort of thing. And so, so many Christians have no hope. And no trust in what will happen beyond this world. And they are, not only they're worried about all of that sort of thing, they are, they've got an anxiety that you cannot believe because of that. Just like the people who do not know Jesus. Exactly the same. So what if I told you that it could be easy to follow Christ? I mean, think about that for a minute. What if I told you that... You could have this healed soul so that you didn't have the worry and the anxiety and the blowing up and the, and, the and, and, and no hope in your life. So would you be interested? Now, I will tell you, it does mean you have to work at it. It is a volitional decision to determine that you're going to be holy. You have to make this decision. It will not happen naturally. If it would happen naturally, you'd already be there. So what is that first step? I'm going to be in this for several weeks now. I'm going to warn you on this. So, and we're going to be looking at how we can become a holy people. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, I, the literal translation of that. Now, this is good commentary here, but it, it's not a literal translation. A literal translation says that you should gird up the loins of your mind. In the in these Middle Eastern culture, they would wear these long robes, and those robes would get in the way of their work. So they would take the robe and they would tuck it under their belt so that their legs were free. And what he says here is that sanctification begins with work on the mind. See, so what it's saying here is free up the mind for action. That which will keep you from thinking as you should. Clear out the things that you should, you've got in your mind that, you, that shouldn't be there. The things that are keeping you from being what you need to be. Th- keeping you from the holiness that you need to have. Unfortunately trying not to think about something is the way to think about it, isn't it? I'm going to tell you right now, I don't want you to be thinking about how hungry you are. I want to tell you, don't you think about fried chicken and mashed potatoes with gravy on top. I don't want you to think about the green beans that go with it, and I don't want you to think about those big, buttered yeast rolls, or the hot apple pie, or the ice cream dollop that goes on top of it. Okay, what is the only thing you're thinking about now? Those very things. I cannot concentrate on not thinking about something. For the moment that you try to concentrate on not thinking about something, you are absolutely thinking about this. So, here's what happens to us on a normal basis. We live in a world that thinks different than what we should be thinking and so and and that world because we're around it every day we're around people who think like that and so and even amongst christians christians are thinking like this and so that what happens is we think it because people are putting it into our minds and this is what it says in the scripture first john chapter 2 verse 16 for all that is in the world the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father but is from the world what happens to us folks is that the world is saying, putting these things into our minds, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the, of the, of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the things, those, those lusts that we have within us, and they are they're there, and the world has got it all around us. And so, we think like that. Physical pleasures include sexual desires and any other desires that make us feel good. You can take those three things that are there, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the lust of the uh, flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life, and you can find every crime that has ever been committed in those. From, you know, from drug addiction to selling the drugs to, to uh, murder to affairs to divorces. It doesn't matter what else there is out there. You can find those things in that, those three things. And when we come across those physical pleasures, which include the sexual desires and any other desire that makes us feel good, we'll find that even the drug addiction is included in that sort of thing. When you look at the ads on TV, what are they trying to sell us? So many times it's physical pleasure. Now, when I was doing some research on this, and I know this might bother some of you what I'm about to say, but I was doing the research on this, I found out about something called mirror neurons. Mirror, you know, reflection from mirror. Mirror neurons. And the way that they discovered mirror neurons is that scientists were doing these uh, tests on monkeys. I'm telling you what they were doing. They were putting the electrodes on the monkey's head and stuff, and they were noticing that when they did certain stimuli to that to the monkey, it was lighting up certain parts of the brain. And so they were trying to map the brain of the monkey. But what happened was that a scientist decided to go to lunch. And when they went to lunch, they left the monkey hooked up. And because the monkey was still hooked up to, this, to these electrodes and all this kind of stuff, one of the one of the researchers came back early and was eating an ice cream cone. And when they licked the ice cream cone, they noticed that the monkey's brain lit up in the same place when the monkey licked an ice cream cone. It was the researcher licking the ice cream cone and not the monkey. But the monkey's brain was reacting to it. And they found out our brains do the same thing. You know why pornography is so addictive? It is not simply because we see it. It is because it literally lights up our brains. It does that sort of thing. And when we see those kinds of things that, you know, that maybe things that they can put on TV, it lights us up in certain places, and it gives us this strong desire, a strong desire. And what I have discovered folks. This is me in my house. I have discovered that when, I, I don't watch pornography or any of that kind of stuff, but when something comes on TV, when I know that it's, it's, a, it's maybe soft porn or whatever you're going to call it, I have about five seconds to turn that off. If I do not turn it off, if I don't get it off, I'm going to tell you what happens. It pulls me in too. It will pull you in. And it will make me think like that. So Lust of the flesh, now lust of the eyes. Money and possessions are the lure that grabs the attention of many. The amazing thing about money and possessions is no matter how much you have, you want more. No matter how much you have, you are going to want more. I was watching this newscaster like two or three days ago, and she was on the air, and she said, You know, it was amazing. Isn't it amazing? We thought that if we ever had $100,000, we'd have enough, but it's not enough now. And I thought, Two things. I thought, Don't you realize most of your viewers don't have $100,000? That's the first thing. And the second thing is, You got the other part right. I don't care if you do have $100,000, it will not be enough when you get there. And, uh, you know, and I will tell you this, no matter what you were making right now, there was probably a time in your life that you wished that you could make that much. And when you got to that much, what did you find out? It's not enough. And this is the way that we are thinking. And then the pride of life. Pride and power are the most desired of all three right now in the world, believe it or not amongst teenagers when they have done surveys with them. Many of them didn't care what they did for a living in their life. You know what? They just wanted to be famous at it. Whatever it was, they wanted to be known for it. And so they have gotten into social media, but not all of them, but many of them have gotten into social media that has fed them so strongly that they're unable to develop meaningful relationships with each other. This is what's going on. And as they strive to be famous and, 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 and powerful, they watch on the social media other people whom they believe are famous and powerful. And you know what it does to, to them? It makes them feel worthless. And why are they feeling worthless? Because they're not getting what they Want from all of that, and it—the pride and the power—it consumes them, and yet they don't have it. These are the kinds of things, and so these are the things that are keeping you from having a healthy soul. A healthy soul—the soul is who you are on the inside, folks. It's who you are on the inside. You see, a healthy soul remains joyful and hopeful. Even when the circumstances turn sour, when things are going south, the healthy soul continues with the joy. And then other, now, the mind that's stayed on the world, it goes up and down like this. Because it, it, it depends on whether you're, you're getting what you think you're supposed to get. I mean, physical pleasure, money, you know, pride, you know, recognition, whatever it is, it goes up and down. But a healthy soul keeps an even keel. It keeps going along this. So what we've already learned is changing our thinking is the first step toward preparing our minds for action. We've got to be able to change our thinking. Romans twelve two says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, what is going on here is the world is conforming us to what? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride and power. Those are the things the world is trying to conform us to. It's pushing us into this. And so what happens to us, if we're trying to live in both worlds, we're trying to live a holy life on one side, and we're trying to live in the world on the other side, we will be torn apart. Now, if you've ever been to the circus, they usually have, a, have a, some guy, that, or a girl, I guess, gets up on top of a back of two horses, and they get up there and they put one foot on the back of one horse and one foot on the back of the other horse and they ride around everybody goes that's crazy that's great isn't it you know what the truth the truth is the truth is say whoa what balance no that's not the that's not really the big deal you know what the big deal is keeping the horses together because it doesn't matter how, how much balance you got if you can't keep those horses together. So you got to keep the horses together. And what is happening in so many Christians' lives, they're trying to keep the, their world horse and their, and their holiness horse right next to each other. And they will not get along. They do not get along. So that there are two forces that are working in you. That is the way of the world, the way the world wants you to think... And the way the Holy Spirit wants you to think. And you will have no satisfaction, especially if you're a believer, in either one of those. Because you can't, you can't do all of the things of the world. You can't have satisfaction with the things of the world because you've got the Holy Spirit in your life. And you can't have satisfaction with the Holy Spirit because you've got the world in your life. And there's a conflict that is going on within you. Now, we've already determined that a renewed mind cannot be achieved by not thinking about something. So how are we going to do this? We replace the worldly thinking with proper thinking. It's not that you try not to think about something. It's about thinking about something different. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Put set your mind on, on these things in which you can think a different way. Not as the world has, has thought. That is why our meditation must be on the scriptures themselves. Because where else are we going to find this? If it's not in the scriptures themselves, whatever else is true and what is honorable and whatever is just, whatever is pure and lovely, what are we going to find those things if we do not find this in the scriptures? And that's why we need to meditate, have our meditation must be on the scriptures. And when we get to um, Psalm 1, you have know the story of blessed is the man who doesn't do these things of the world. That's what it says in verse 1. And this says in, in verse 2, it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He thinks on these things. And so we think on something and we become that which we think. Now, let's put this to practical use. Let's see if we can do this with the scripture right now to see how this really works. Let's think on this following scripture. Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now, realize that. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Let's get our mind stayed on the Lord for a minute. Okay, when you think of the Lord, what do you think? For, I, I mean, I'm going to tell you what I think anyway. But the, what do you think of first? You know what I think of? I think that he loves me. I think that I know that he loves me. In fact, I know that he loves me with an everlasting love. I know that there is nothing that that even can be created that will take his love away from me. And that all times God loves me. So that's the first thing. When my mind is stayed upon the Lord, I think, you know what? He loves me. The second thing I typically think of is that he knows me. He knows me. He knows me personally. He knows exactly where I am. He knows all the circumstances that are going on around me. He is omniscient in who he is. And he knows exactly what I'm going through. No matter what I'm going through, he knows exactly what I'm going through. The third thing that I typically think about when I'm thinking of the Lord is that he's all powerful. And what that really means is, is that, you know, he's able to take me out of the tough thing that I'm going through. He's able to. He could do it. Does he have the love for me? Yes. Does he have the power to do it? Yes. Well, guess what? Does he have the knowledge to do it? Yes. Well, he could do it. And if he does not take me out of this, if he does not give me what I think that I need, then he's got a greater purpose in transforming me. And when that happens, when I realize that, I've got peace. In fact, I got perfect peace. I got perfect peace because, you know what? He's got me in the palms of... In the palm of his hands. You got that? Here's who he is. And then I am constantly trusting him. You see, our thinking changes our souls. It heals them when they need to be healed. It strengthens them when they need to be strengthened. It makes them safe and sound. Now we, we we're big on safety, but we're not too much on soundness. Let me give you an example. Let's say there's a boat, a big boat, let's say for example, out in the ocean. That's a great storm, and the storm just tears that boat, I mean just tears the boat, and you know can't operate. And so finally what happens is when it, when the weather comes down, <clears throat> they have to go out there and they have to tow the boat back into harbor. When they tow that boat back into harbor, that boat is safe, but is it sound? The answer is no. It isn't sound. You see, soundness would say that it has the ability to go out again. It cannot go out again because it is not sound. You see, we, we go towards safety for so much that we forget about the soundness that needs to be there. You see, we, it's like people that go out and get the heart surgery, you know, the bypass surgery, and then they don't do the, the walking afterwards to strengthen their hearts. You see, there's safety and there's soundness too. Soundness to be able to go on out and be able to, to function like we should be able to function. So what happens is, is that we need a safeness and a soundness for our healed soul. And our change of thought is governed by soberness. It says, and being sober-minded is what Peter said. To be sober-minded is to be full of full control of ourselves. You know, I think that some people think that when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you lose control. That's not really what happens. That's not true. When we're full of the Spirit, we're given a boldness in our spirit. And we will do some things that we normally wouldn't have done. Yes, but it won't be because we couldn't have stopped it. We could have stopped it. But our spirits are so filled with the Spirit that we no longer are listening to the worldly things. Therefore, a sober mind is a controlled mind. That means that you have matured to the point that you don't fly off the handle. It means that you don't act like an intoxicated person who cannot control his own emotions and thoughts. A sober-minded person is able to face adversity without ungodly reactions to it. Now, Peter would know something about this, the writer of this book. He would know something about this. Remember what happened to him? He said, you know, Jesus... Yeah, all the rest of these guys, they might, they might deny you. They may do, but not me, not me. But out and outside, when it was a Jesus trial, while well, he's warming his hands outside and watching Jesus being prosecuted and being condemned, he denied that he knew Jesus with a curse, it says. Now, that isn't what Peter thought he was. And in fact, is I don't believe that's who Peter really was but I can tell you that later he would understand what it is to have a whole soul because Peter went out and he spoke the word of God boldly. It didn't matter if they were going to beat him or throw him in prison. And when the time came for his own execution, he said, I'm not even worthy to be crucified like my Lord. I want to be crucified upside down. This is the story of a guy who grabbed a hold of this. Now a lot of people would say, you know what? I, I don't I don't want to live like this. I'm afraid that something's going to happen and I'm I'm I I and then I am going to react like I always react. I'm going to worry like I always worried. I'm going to I'm going to fly off the handle like I always fly off flew off the handle. I'm going to be that way. Well, let me ask you this question. Jesus asked this question. Matthew 16:26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Think about that just for a moment. Jesus set that standard for us. That standard that says you deny yourself, you take up your cross and you follow him. And that cross, folks, is more than a piece of jewelry. It's more than something we stick on our shirts and put on the back of our cars. It is an instrument of death. And he was clearly speaking of dying to self. And that way seemed horrendous to some people. But if you think it's horrendous, then you are still thinking like the world. And the world is telling us that all that glitters is in this world. But there's an eternity that is coming that this world will not matter one bit for. So set your hope on the grace that you will receive at the revelation of Jesus. The day is coming when we will all receive that grace if we know the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we received grace when we became Christians and you're even receiving grace by listening to this sermon right now. But there is a grace that is coming for our eternity. And why would I hope for that? Because it will be more than I can imagine. More than I can imagine. So you set your eyes On something that is going to get you through whatever you're doing in order to become holy. You set your eyes on the grace, on the grace that you will receive at the coming of Jesus. Now, what most people do is they set their eyes on the immediate thing. You know what happens when we have a problem? What do we do with that problem? I said problems out here. That's what we do with it. We bring it up close. All we can see is the problem. And when there is an opportunity, an opportunity of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, desires of the flesh, desires of of the eyes, the, the pride of life, what do we do? We look at the moment that we're in and we say, I'll take that right there. And we become like that parable that in which Jesus has said about this rich farmer. This rich farmer who could who had such a, a bounty of crop. He had such a huge crop that he said, I'll, "I'll build build bigger barns and I'll I'll just live off of the bounty. I'll just live off of my richness." <clears throat> he had the opportunity to help others. He had the opportunity to, help, to obey God, but he chose it all for himself. Now let me read. Actually, it's two verses here, but I'm going to read one right behind the other because they are right behind the other. It says, and so he says, Jesus says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, what does that mean? That means that person has a broken soul because they, don't, they haven't got things in the right order. Things are not in the right order. What's the next verse say, though? And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What is happening? If you live with this richness toward God, guess what happens? You don't have this anxi- anxiousness about your life, and what you will eat, or, uh, uh, about your body, what you will put on. So, what happens to you? You're a different sort of person with a healed soul. Now, what was the result of the person who, you remember, the, the given the five talents, and when the master came back, he had five more talents. What, did, what was said to him, Matthew 25, 21? His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enjoy the joy, or enter rather, the joy of your master. You see, that's thinking on the grace that you're going to receive. That's the grace that you will receive. And realize, would you trade in five minutes for an eternity? Would you take five minutes or ten minutes of joy or fun or whatever it might be and trade it in for an eternity in which God would say, you know, enter into the joy of your master? See, if you don't believe this is better, then you are still thinking like the world and your eyes are fixed on this very moment. See, there is a wholeness to your soul that would give you immeasurable joy, and you can have it. And those who attain it never regret the sin that they could have committed. Why not you? Why not you have a whole soul?